We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Recapping our first FFPC best ball draft of the year. That's what we're going to be talking about today on Ceiling Bananas. I'm Ben Gretsch. You can find my newsletter at bengretsch.substack.com. With me, as always, is Sean Siegel. You can find all of his great work at Rotovis. Sean, we drafted a team last week now for anyone listening. For us, it's just minutes after the draft. I am at this point, as you hear this, somewhere on vacation. Are you in the Grand Canyon? Have, have you survived might, the Grand Canyon? I might be in the Grand Canyon at this point, yes. Yeah, so we, we drafted our team. Uh, we've talked about it a little bit already. But for anyone who hasn't heard what the roster wound up being, our draft went out of the 10 slots. Stephon Diggs, Debo Samuel, Brees Hall, Nick Chubb, Dalton Schultz, David Montgomery, Garrett Wilson, Drake London, Tyler Boyd, Justin Fields, Kenny Galladay, Ronald Jones, Daniel Jones, Gerald Everett, Malik Willis, KJ Hamler, Trey McBride, Justin Ross, Tyler Beatty, and Pierre Strong. We were very excited about getting eight different rookies on this roster. We took some running backs in the dead zone, but this episode won't be as focused on our team. We're going to talk about some of the other strategies, some of the other teams, and how this draft flowed, maybe some of the interesting values that we saw. How are you doing, though? Good. It was was a lot of fun doing the 30-second clock as we record the pod uh, keeps you on the toes. It, it was it was an absolute blast. We may have dropped ten pounds of water weight here, uh, but as we alluded to on the previous show, there are some really good teams in this draft. Yeah, there's some fun ones. Um, we talked about our buddy Hassan Rahim out of the one hole, put together a nice team. He got a Russell Wilson, Cortland Sutton, Jerry Judy, Noah Fant stack, as well as a Joe Burrow, T Higgins stack. And has Christian McCaffrey at the one-on-one, has Jalen Waddle at the end of the second round to pair with that. If those two teams, if those two stacks hit, his team's going to be very good. It was a, it was basically a, a modified zero RB, you know, anchor RB build where he got McCaffrey and then he got Michael Carter and then didn't take another running back until the 13th round. You really liked the drafter out of the three-hole who started with Jamar Chase, DeAndre Swift, TJ Hawkinson, Travis Etienne, Devonta Smith, Kenneth Walker, Brandon Ayuk. I mean, just so many new. Al- Albert Okwubanam gets Rashad Penny, goes with Christian Watson, Sky Moore, LaVisca Chenault, and David Bell for a stretch late where he gets three 
intriguing rookies plus our guy LaVisca Chenault. That was definitely a draft that caught our eye as the type of draft that we might put together. There's definitely a few here that are promising. And this isn't a, a tournament league. It's a it's a 12-person contest. So we're going to be competing against these other drafters. A lot of them went running back, uh, excuse me, wide receiver heavy. It's a fun league. It is. And, and we look here. I mean, the first thing that always kind of jumps out to you is who was able to wait on running back until after the sixth round. So much of our research and, and what the roster construction of Explorer will tell you is that you get that second running back after round six, your win rate, you know, absolutely skyrockets. The team out of the 104 goes with Justin Jefferson, Joe Mixon. Mixon, an interesting guy. I think always controversial for me. I'm not a believer in the talent, but I'm a huge believer in the Cincinnati Bengals offense. We know he's got a little bit of hybrid ability. The touchdowns could come in bunches. So not a bad value there. DeAndre Swift and Dalvin Cook are the next two players who come off the board. Cook is going to have a, a monster season if he can stay healthy and if the off the field things stay out of the way. But those the price makes sense when you consider that you know, there could be still some hidden landmine in the future. Swift, somebody we love. We mentioned that Hassan had Waddle at the 212. Swift goes a couple spots before. I've had a variety of conversations with him about Swift and Waddle actually being sort of a decision point where those guys come off together can really affect the structure of your team. But going back to the 104 here, we have Mixon, Allen, Moore, Herbert. So he gets... The first quarterback there, uh, maybe a little bit expensive uh, in terms of the price of his first quarterback. That's the overall QB2, which again, it, it's interesting to see Mahomes go after Herbert and the skepticism right now about the Chiefs' weaponry. I'm still a huge believer in Mahomes. I think he's probably got as good a shot as anybody, even Josh Allen, to finish as the QB1. They're going to add another impact receiver. And I think the Chiefs offensively will multiple. It'll be harder to contend with. But Justin Herbert going into year three, we took Gerald Everett, and they still have some targets available there. And, and by targets, simply mean that this offense can be so dynamic through the air that someone else should emerge, could emerge if they do. And if Allen doesn't really start to fade, then, I mean, that passing offense is going to support Herbert at that spot. Then you get Burks, you get Moore, and Rob Gronkowski. So through eight rounds, only the one running back, and then come back with A.J. Dillon, Isaiah Spiller, Rashad White. So a couple of the interesting rookies. Uh, one of the things that's, that's a lot of fun about this draft, and I think a lot of fun about these drafts that happened before the actual NFL draft, is you do see the rookies sprinkled in as contingency-based plays to balance out some of the other structure and to provide that upside you know, we know that that could not work out, but only one of the 12 players is going to win this league. You've set yourself up nicely when you've made that bet. Yeah, that's a nice way to build some upside, certainly, into a running back group. I mean, that's Joe Mixon. I think you you kind of hit on the any concerns there, but Joe Mixon, A.J. Dillon, Isaiah Spiller, Rashad White is a nice first four where Dillon, Spiller, and White do provide good upside in that middle round, which is what you're trying to get. And some of it with the rookies is just the uncertainty. Like, you know, we know what their profiles are, but we don't necessarily know everything about them. And that uncertainty creates 
the wide range of potential outcomes. Um, it doesn't immediately mean upside. People love to say after the fact that they kind of love to mock when people chased upside when the, the downside hits. The reality is over a large sample, these are the types of picks that can certainly hit. You've done work in the past to show that the running backs in that round nine to round 11 range, I think it was from some of your research a couple of years ago, are just fantastic win rate players and best balls. And so that's right around where these two backs went. Seems like the types of guys that could be those types of strong win rate players this year again. I really like this receiver core on this team as well. I mean, you talk about Justin Jefferson, Elijah Moore, Traylon Burks, and Rondell Moore all being on the same roster. I'm not very, very high on Keenan Allen. It seems like that's why Herbert was the pick, was to get that stack. I think Allen's a little bit overpricing out, that, that there's been a little bit of concern in the underlying numbers and the targets per run and the and the efficiency, yards per target efficiency, stuff like that, to where we should be getting more of a discount. He shouldn't be going right where he was going last year, but he is. But the other four receivers there are all guys that you know we love. And so that's a really nice start. And he gets George Pickens later. It's a little concern when I look at the rest of this roster at the way that he, this drafter finished his wide receiver room, he got KJ Osborne in the 15th round and just took Jalen Guyton in the 20th to kind of finish off that stack. Guyton's, you know, I guess a fine addition to when you're already stacking the chargers, but he's not a player that is going to offer much other than when he gets a long touchdown here or there. And even those weeks are going to be probably 13 point weeks. He's, he does not draw targets. It's a fine final receiver, but, going to really need those first five receivers to hit or pickings to be a really nice value in the 13th round, I think, because there wasn't a lot there at the back end. And so that, that, that was something I saw in a couple of these drafts where, and we always talk about receiver depth. I do think finishing off the back end of your receivers, if you go away from it and you're going to come back in a best ball draft, because you want to hit on the QBs, or you want to hit on the tight ends, or you want to get these middle round running backs. Got to You got to finish that off strong. And that was maybe one of the weak points of this draft, which otherwise was a very strong draft. It was. And then you look at the drafter out of seven as well. Got the other team that I noticed that jumps out to me where waited until after round six for the running back two. And that's despite being able to get Javante Williams, you know, middle of the second. So this is a Kyle Pitts, Javante Williams start that then gets four wide receivers in DJ Moore, Mike Williams, Michael Pittman, and Darnell Mooney. Now, Pittman and Mooney, we've talked about a little bit. Those are, are tricky prices. I think it emphasizes that I mean, people have talked for so long about wide receiver being deep. And when I look at drafts this year and I try and figure out how I want to play them, I think to myself, I mean, the wide receiver is not just shallow. It's non-existent. That's one of the reasons why we started wide receiver, wide receiver. But with that being the case, I mean, Pittman, a guy who could emerge in year three, Darnell Mooney has a little bit of that element where the offense is going to be bad. He's the type of player who, because of where he was drafted, because a little bit of what his profile is, he has to prove himself year after year after year to maintain the role, to maintain the volume. And yet, I like him. I think he's I think he's a very good player. <laughs> One of the reasons why we kind of have our running joke about Allen Robinson is that there was no question who was the better player in Chicago last year, and it was not close. And so the, that four wide receiver grouping after this really cool Pitts-Williams start, I like that. And then you come back with Elijah Mitchell, Miles Sanders. 
Miles Sanders, not somebody we actually talked about during the show, but I think there's a path for him to be this, you know, you talk about win rate in round 10. Miles Sanders has maintained some good peripherals. He's had a hard time staying healthy. We know that the Eagles are probably not going to pass to the running backs a lot. So there are some things that cap the ceiling slightly, but I mean, if you made the argument that he is going to be around five pick by August or that he should be around five pick right now, I, I would buy into that. And then I like William Fuller. Some people think that he's done. I think that there was a weird situation with his finger last year that really was outside of his control. It is a red flag that no one seems to want to pay him. It could be simply something where he's looking at some of those wide receiver prices and saying, look, I've got a lot of leverage here. There are teams that need speed and speed that comes in the form of someone who, you know, on those handful of games every year where they're healthy, they play very, very well. So he could simply be looking for money right now and, and letting this play out. We know that supposedly that's what Jarvis Landry and Julio Jones are doing. And then I know that you're going to be excited that he has Jacoby Myers in round 12. Yeah, I think getting Fuller and Myers back to back in 11 and 12 was really nice. It's kind of the inverse of the point I was just making where he got back to receiver and got a couple good picks in these middle rounds and hit, hit both of his quarterbacks in between Mitchell and Miles Sanders as well. So that draft, I think, came together all right. Not, Still not particularly deep at receiver because then he takes Curtis Samuel after that, and that's that was it for the whole draft. Seven receivers probably like to see an eighth receiver in a 20-round draft, but not, not a bad uh, group of receivers, to your point, by taking the four early. I... Your point on Pittman and Mooney, I wanted to piggyback on and say, I think that's where the rookies should go. And they're not going there yet. So Traylon Burks went after Pittman goes at 507. Mooney goes at 606. Burks goes at 609. We take Garrett Wilson at 710 and Drake London at 803. I think Pittman Mooney, who are these two third-year receivers who maybe aren't quite worth these prices yet that they've been getting in this early 2022 offseason. I think after the draft, especially when we see the draft capital, the top two of those three rookies will be at that mid-fifth and mid-sixth spot. And, and I think I would prefer to have Wilson London, who, I mean, obviously we took them, so it's easy to say that, but we took them at the 7-8 turn as opposed to the middle of the fifth and the middle of the sixth. I think this roster would look better with, with Wilson and London or with Wilson and Burks or uh, whichever two you have as your top two there. But yeah, that is another really good team that stuck out to me as well. This was a good draft. I know number pick number five was somebody who must have seen ship chasing before because he asked us to to uh, roast his team a little bit, which we like to like to sauce people over on ship chasing. So we'll, we'll talk about him a little bit. He went Cooper Cup, George Kittle, DeAndre Hopkins, Josh Jacobs, Cam Akers, Allen Robinson, Clyde Edwards-Alaire. So three running backs in that dead zone as well in Jacobs, Akers, and CEH. Gets Gallup and Robert Woods on the backside of that. I don't think you're going to be a big fan of the receivers here with Hopkins, Robinson, Gallup, and Woods. Gets Corey Davis a little later and finishes with Odell Beckham, Terrace Marshall, Amari Rogers, and Zay Jones. Not a lot of players that I think have a ton of upside in that receiver build. Uh, only four running backs overall as well. Went back with Kenneth Gainwell. I, I don't mind the four running backs as much with Jacobs, Akers, CEH, and Gainwell. I think those are pretty four four pretty interesting names. And then Kittle, Cole Komet, and Jonu Smith is a nice tight end group on this roster. Yeah, we 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 went a little, off on a little tangent on Smith 
during the live draft portion of the show. We think that he could be a little bit of a bounce back candidate. I guess one of the things I would like to see would be more firepower at one of the positions, kind of a, a signature position or a signature element of the build. We've got a lot of veteran play here. And uh, again, talking about Blair's wrong read series, he does have a piece out from last season talking about how when you look at the win rates and the win rate averages, there's some reason to believe veterans do bring you some stability and some positive win rate in some spots. I guess that my concern would be that the the price is, is, is very relevant. And I think that the discounts are maybe not enough. Now, I like DeAndre Hopkins in round three. I think that the Arizona Cardinals offense is going to actually be a good team to play. They're going to score a ton of points, and, and they're very out of fashion right now. This may be one of the only times in the next five or six years where you can play the Cardinals offense as out of fashion. But Allen Robinson in six, Michael Gallup with the injury in eight, Robert Woods with the injury, and now is the number two in a low-pass volume offense. Corey Davis, I mean – that's somebody you can't sell in dynasty that doesn't necessarily mean he can't be a redraft asset but i do think that one of the things we talked about how you can use redraft adp to make these dynasty trades very adeptly i think you can also take these dynasty trades and get a sense of where the community even if they're not expressing it directly that way where the redraft risk is players that they really think are done right and so you you again you look at the offense Although Beckham, the injury there, so even in round 17, maybe a little bit problematic. Uh, Zay Jones with the situation and the offense that he is in. Marshall with the offense he is in. Ben, I, I guess I would throw it back to you in terms of there's, I mean, these are unfashionable players. And so you do potentially get some good values. Are the values enough? And how concerned would you be that so many of these receivers outside of Cooper Cup, who at the 105, I mean, that's a fantastic start. But some of these receivers are going to be playing with bad quarterbacks. Yeah, and I, I think this is one of the traps that I see a lot of people fall into. And I think the way I would frame it is, like you mentioned, there are a lot of veterans. These were sort of popular names from last year's draft in some cases. I mean, you even go all the way down to Terrace Marshall. And it's just to be sort of more forward-looking. And, like, we're always trying to do that in our discussions we're trying to predict next season. We're definitely not looking at last season. Things change so fast in the NFL. And, you know, I've made a case for Allen Robinson so uh, this offseason. But, Sean, when we were talking about that, it was because I thought it was crazy. He was going in maybe the eighth or ninth round. Told you he'd go up into the sixth round. I, I'm going to take a win on that one. So, at least I got my ADP value with that case that I made before. I don't want Allen Robinson in the sixth. Uh, I don't even necessarily want DeAndre Hopkins in the middle of the third. I was intrigued to that that you think that's an interest, a reasonable pick. Maybe, maybe that will pay, pay off, but we've been the next two wide receivers are DJ Moore and DK Metcalf. And I mean, it might be an upgrade if you or I were throwing them the ball. <laughs> that's fair, but they are also players that I'd rather drafted DeAndre Hopkins at this stage of his career. Uh, even if they don't have a quarterback, but I, yeah, I mean, I think that's a, a wide receiver build, and I think you put it well. It's just too much veteran presence, essentially. It's guys that are on the decline phase. The, the the mention that you had of the dynasty trade value of a guy like a Corey Davis, who's frankly the youngest of some of, of you know, you're looking at Hopkins and Allen Robinson and Robert Woods and those other guys and Odell Beckham. 
I mean, you're, you're a lot of receivers that are probably declining and potentially could fall off. We talk about the age cliff. A lot of times it's not just a gradual decline. It's a, it's a complete fall off. And so you're kind of holding on for dear life with all these guys. And when you build a wide receiver group, that's all of them. The way that this plays out positively for you is that enough of them hold on and are still productive. Maybe you get a good rebound. You're at a, a DeAndre Hopkins or a couple of the other ones. The really, again, the only way that this really plays out positively is a good chunk of them hold on and not more than one or two of them fall off. And that still doesn't give you like a lot of firepower. It just makes your roster decent enough at receiver. But you got to go out and you got to win the league. That's probably going to get you to fourth place, at least if your other positions don't explode. You, you know, you could probably win with a decent receiver group if all your other positions do explode. But this doesn't look like the type of roster I think that can get there without more upside plays. I think you really need to be understanding that the the amount of upside shots you're taking and where and what upside really is. And these guys that are declining, even though they were guys who previously showed upside, probably are not it for 2022 or not great bets to be it for 2022 when you stack a lot of them together it's not an upside group. And so that's a lesson, I think, not just for this drafter, but uh, I see a lot. And for a lot of drafters, hopefully that resonates with some uh, other people who are listening that maybe fall into that trap. I know a lot of people that I've talked to and worked with personally that that fall into that trap. So definitely, uh, definitely a common one there. What do you think about? Then I want to ask you quickly before we go on, we drafted three backs in the dead zone, but we made the argument and we'll see if we're right or not. Uh, there can be a little bit of hubris there, but that they're not dead zone backs. Clyde Edwards Alaire, is he a dead zone back? Yeah, I mean, he's an interesting one for sure. And Akers in the fifth, I think you can make a case for as well. I I definitely want to discount on him, but on CEH, but I can see the case that look like there's a reason he was going in the first three rounds each of the past two years. Things have not panned out, but if they do pan out positively for him, that path is still potentially there. It's certainly not a pick where you're paying for past production, like I was talking about with some of the other guys here. You're paying for this idea that maybe that upside's still there and the breakout is still in in the future for CEH. And in that regard, that can sometimes be the indicator that you are getting a good price because now you're getting him a lot lower than the last two years where you had to pay as if that upside was a lot more likely than maybe it panned out to be, or maybe that's just too much outcome bias. Now here in the seventh round, I think it's a fair point that maybe some of that upside still lingers. The offense is still fantastic, especially with Tyreek Hill not there anymore. There might actually be this path to him catching more passes, right? Ronald Jones, not a great pass player. So that three down workload, maybe it finally comes in in year three. Who knows? Uh, Certainly in, in round seven, it's a better bet to make than the last two years when you had to take him to the top 25 picks most of the time. Hello there, Colin Kelly here, co-host of the Road of His Overtime podcast. I just want to take a moment to let you know as a loyal Road of His podcast listener, you can save yourself 10% off a Road of His NFL pass. All you have to do is head on over to rotaviz.com, add the subscription to your basket, and add the promo code RVRADIO2022 at checkout. That'll get you 10% off, it'll get you access to all of our content and tools, and of course, set you up for success in all your 2022 fantasy football rosters. That code is RVRADIO2022. I hope you enjoy the podcast. 
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Do you have any thoughts on CEH? I, 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 I'm so on Ronald Jones at this point again, Ben, that I have a hard time with it. I was kind of looking at some of the backs drafted in this range because it's an interesting range, kind of who you think is the starter, who you think is the backup, who you think is the most talented player in some of these committees with A.J. Dillon in round nine. We know he is the backup, but he and Kareem Hunt, I think, are the two backups in the NFL where they're so good that they both carve out possibilities for themselves and really do hurt the starter. Uh, Devin Singletary there in round nine. I was trying to think to myself, is he basically Clyde Edwards-Alaire, but a Clyde Edwards-Alaire who we've already seen go on a hot streak in a version that doesn't have Ronald Jones behind him? Now, Devin Singletary could have Brees Hall in front of him by the time, you know, we're, we're six months into the, or six weeks into the future. But interesting backs in that range. And I think there are some fun pros and cons based on where you are on the talent with those guys. Yeah, definitely. I, I want to get to this Team 11 from uh, Chris G, who's a, a ship-chasing watcher, sharp guy. So it's, the, I think, the most interesting team, bar none. He starts Mark Andrews, Darren Waller out of the 11 spot, and then he goes Terry McLaurin and Aaron Jones, gets one receiver and one, one running back, and then goes Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson in rounds five and six. So gets two really fantastic quarterbacks, obviously, and then comes back with all running backs and receivers from there. And I think it's an interesting thing to get these just the two quarterbacks and just the two tight ends and get top four guys with all four of those picks at their position. It was tight end three, tight end four, and QB three, QB four. The wide receivers wind up being McLaurin, Gabe Davis, Rashad Bateman, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, Alan Lazar, Jameson Crowder, who I think is – an interesting bet at this point to to fill into that Cole Beasley role. Josh Palmer, Marcus Callaway, Randall Cobb, and Brian Edwards. And the running backs are Aaron Jones, Kareem Hunt, Chase Edmonds, Brian Robinson, J.D. McKissick, James Cook. I think this is a pretty good team. Well, you know that I love the elite tight ends. It's interesting to look at you know, some of the results and they're going to be a little bit more limited results. When, when you take the two tight ends, you open yourself up to a little bit of that element that you get with the couple of running backs where you have, you know, an injury history for this position that maybe now there, there's almost an element where you want to spread those landmines out and you want to diversify across leagues as opposed to, you know, getting that exposure within the same league. But 
I mean, Mark Andrews, Darren Waller, that's a pretty exciting start, especially if in a situation like this, you can't get Hawkinson coming back in round three. And then the double dip at QB as well. I mean, it's expensive, right? But Lamar Jackson, a guy, again, that I think the people should have a lot of exposure to is going to be right there in the mix to be the overall QB one. So I think that that part of it is fun because then you can have more players at running back and at wide receiver. The interesting thing for me here, Ben, is that I almost feel like the other picks are too conservative after the aggressive start at tight end and QB. A lot of these guys are role players. Yeah, you're talking about like Alan Lazard, maybe Josh Palmer. I mean, I, I Gabe Davis probably you're, you're referencing. I, I mean, I like Davis, but when you're looking at MVS, I mean, he could, I mean, and especially when you think in terms of best ball, but you know, that part of it can be a trap, but the contract would suggest that he's not going to be squeezed out volume wise, but I, I think that they paid for what he did in 2020 in green Bay, which was an excellent vertical receiver. I think they felt like that was worth it. Lazard, you know, sort of an, I mean, you're talking about elite niche players, I would say in terms of Lazard right now, if you believe that he's actually good. And I was somebody who thought he was going to be drafted, you know, late on day two, as opposed to what happened to him. You know, Jamison Crowder is like an upgraded Cole Beasley. You could score there, you know, Robinson, somebody who not actually a lot worse talent wise, I don't think than some of these Alabama backs who were drafted very early and have become fantasy standouts. JD McKissick could fall right back in the same role. You know, Palmer, maybe he's the guy who emerges as the number three and perhaps actually takes quite a bit of target from Keenan Allen. You mentioned the concerns you have there. I you see know, your Callaway, point, though. Cobb, Edwards. But all of those guys are not are very massive. Much players, even if they hit, I mean, those are, would you not say these are small hit, big miss types of players? Yeah, they, they are. You're right. I, I see your point now. I mean, I think the, the idea must be to just get enough running back and receiver points from a lot of small hit type of players in the, in the sheer quantity and then win at QB and tight end because you have Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, Mark Andrews, and Darren Waller. I'm going to be really interested to see how that roster plays out because I mean, like Bateman can be a big hit. Kareem Hunt can be a big hit if he gets one of those guys, but I, I see your point, especially in this MVS Lazard Crowder stretch. There wasn't a lot of receivers left at this point, but probably take a bigger swing there right probably take even jacoby myers goes after lazard talked about him a million times but jameson williams who's rehabbing but it goes after lazard christian watson sky Moore, george pickens all go in the next round before coming back and getting crowder that mvs lazard turn getting one of those rookies you know getting sky Moore there changes the outlook of this it doesn't make it look any worse you still have enough of those elite niche role players like you were saying but now maybe sky Moore comes out and has that really strong rookie season or gives you that late season production that looks fantastic that amon ross st brown type production from last year sky Moore's profile certainly says that he could be that type of guy at some point in 2022 so one or two of those types of guys to be built around the rest of this i, I see your point that would make this look even more uh, appealing and, and part of what we're saying here too uh, is that it's not our style and it's not our sort of pick mix preference, not that you can't win that way. And one of the things that I always like to mention is when you hear us talk about teams and talk about drafts, I mean, we're always 
going with the evidence. And so we're not going to present to you things that don't have an evidence backing. The win rates that we've had with these builds have been good, but that doesn't mean that you couldn't have success in a different way. And I never want to present it to like ours is the only way to do it. Sean, this is our show. We know everything here. (laughs) (laughs) Or, or that, or that, right. So yeah, I mean, this, this is our show, but again, I mean, one of the things I think is absolutely crucial is that drafters draft to their own talents and mine just kind of lay in a different direction than where this team went after the first nine picks, which was, you know, just a, a crazy fun sort of brilliant yeah. draft there. So the, what the, about 12 then that we get the, the running back, running back, running back start. And part of that is because you get Derek Henry and Najee Harris at the one, two turn. Yeah, Derek, this was the really receiver heavy and, and even tight end heavy draft that we knew it would be. And so Derek Henry and Najee Harris is the one, two turn RB4, RB5. And J.K. Dobbins, who you're very high on at 312. Josh Allen as the first non running back at 401. And then Amon Ross St. Brown. Dawson Knox, who we talked a little bit during the draft, was probably overdrafted there. For me, he's behind. Dallas Goddard, who goes after him. And then a couple of rounds later, we have Gronkowski, Fryermuth, Gesicki, and Okugbanam, who all go right around the eight and nine turn. I think I'd take all four of those guys over Dawson Knox. But getting back to team 12, you have Knox, Hunter Renfro, Tyler Lockett, Russell Gage, Chris Olave, Alexander Madison, Tua, Donovan Peoples-Jones, Jahan Dotson, and on and on. I just, there's not enough receiver firepower. I mean, you start three running backs, you take Josh Allen at four, you take Dawson Knox in the sixth, obviously, to tie to Josh Allen. That's probably part of the reason he was overdrafted a little bit. But I just can't get behind a receiver group that starts Amon Ross St. Brown, Hunter Renfro, two elite slot types. But those are your one and two receivers. And then Tyler Lockett, a lot of question marks there without Russell Wilson. Russell Gage is now your fourth receiver. Alaves are an intriguing pick at that spot. Doesn't really save the rest of the concerns I have about the receiver group. And then you, later on, you're getting Donovan Peoples-Jones, Jahan Dotson, and Anthony Schwartz in the 20th round, the, the final receiver to build out that group. I, I mean, it's also interesting with the three start at running back that he went back to Madison and then took Chris Carson in 16, which is probably a fine pick. In a vacuum, I don't know. I'm probably not taking Chris Carson, but I could see that paying off. And then Jarrett Patterson in 19. I don't think you need six running backs if you start with Henry, Harris, and Dobbins. I think those need to be more receiver picks. But uh, a lot of what we just said while looking at Team 11 and the the firepower upside wide receiver picks could have been made here at Team 12 as well in place of Russell Gage, one of those rookies, in place of you know, even Donovan Peoples-Jones in the 13th round. I, I mean, I'd rather take Julio Jones, who goes in the 14th. I'm just looking. Like, there's not a lot of great names that were left. But honestly, like, make a bet that Julio Jones can have another healthy season and be some version of Julio Jones. At this point, you need something that has more firepower than Donovan Peoples-Jones. Well, once Julio signs, I, I think that we're going to get not maybe a similar move because it's probably not going to be as good a situation as the Rams, but you're going to get that move up. Like you mentioned, and this is an interesting mix because we mentioned that Renfro might be underdrafted. And yet I would kind of prefer him 
you know, as you said, on a different type of team. Lockett appears to be a great value, except, uh, you know, for Seattle. The interesting pick here, I think, is Olave, and he's maybe the elite rookie wide receiver that I'm most interested in seeing how the draft plays out for him. If you have a, a four-year college guy who is a vertical receiver, but then or a speed receiver, but then you listen to a lot of the scouting reports on him and not necessarily a vertical receiver, I mean, you're starting to wonder, you know, exactly how this is going to work out. Now, I think it's going to work out, but I think it, like you mentioned, the value there is going to be trickier for him than for some of the rookies. I think that Jahan Dotson in round 14 is a very intriguing pick. That's somebody I actually had wanted to get on our roster, but we put ourselves in a position where we had to go QB tight end in that range. So I like that one, but the rookies are probably not enough, especially if, and, and you know, you can be overconfident thinking, okay, well, these guys are going to be pigeonholed, but especially if they're not the type of receiver as a rookie who is likely to get this full complement of routes. Yeah, that's a great point. That's that's sort of an issue with that class of player. I'm looking at some other names that I recognize. We have Willis, who's a, a ship-chasing guy in the eighth spot. He started Austin Eckler, CeeDee Lamb, DK Metcalf, Deontay Johnson. Like that start. Ezekiel Elliott in round five. I'm just going to zoom past. Uh, Dallas Goddard in six. Dak Prescott, Jalen Hurts, who you mentioned we would have liked during the draft at eight, if not maybe for the 30-second clock, you would have made a case for us taking Hurts. So Dak and Hurts is a really nice pairing there, and he actually gets Mariota in the 18th for a third quarterback. Devin Singletary, DJ Chark, who was also in our queue for a period, and Irv Smith, who I mentioned on the show, I liked as sort of an upside tight end in this range. So Goddard, Irv Smith, and then Jalen, I I think it's Wittermeyer? I don't know how to say his name. Uh, the rookie tight end was his uh, three tight ends, which I think is a fine group and a, a fine group of QBs. A little concerned about the receiver depth, but Tim Patrick, Julio Jones, James Washington, I thought was an, a pretty interesting. Those are guys that I haven't given a ton of thought to. I mean, I just mentioned Julio. I don't ever pull the trigger on Julio, but Julio on 14 is fine. But Washington now in Dallas in the 15th round, I'm okay with. Tim Patrick with Russell Wilson in the 12th round, I'm pretty okay with. And when you started with Lamb, Metcalf, Deontay Johnson, and, and DJ Chark, and Washington now, you have Dak Prescott, CeeDee Lamb, Ezekiel Elliott. You have this nice Dallas stack. I like this team. Washington is one of those players who will not end up on my teams in all likelihood, and yet he's one of the guys I'm most concerned about because I do think that he has not necessarily league-winning but very good win rate upside at that price with what the situation is likely to be. I mean, Gallup's recovery will influence that, but, but as you mentioned, I like Washington there. Then quickly, don't without thinking, you know, Byron Pringle, what team is he on? Uh, he's on Bears. <laughs> I had to think. I could not think. I The first thing I thought was Falcons because he just seemed like a guy who would be on the Falcons because the Falcons have a bunch of bad receivers. Yeah, so when we get into the, the very late rounds and it's easy to say, well, you know, I would have picked different players, but but the 17th or 20th rounds are going to have that element to them. I think, as you mentioned, this is a very fun start with going with Eckler and then the three wide receivers. It's hard to get to that third wide receiver. I think that there's a big tear break after Deontay Johnson. I mean, one of the things with him is he's probably going to get bad quarterback play, but 
as I was researching and kind of putting together the specifics for my Juju Smith-Schuster to the Chiefs article, I was stunned by, even having lived through it, I was stunned by how bad the quarterback play was for Pittsburgh the last couple of years. So he's someone where we don't expect him necessarily to get a QB upgrade, but it's possible. And then all of a sudden you're looking at Deontay Johnson. I really think as someone, you know, right after T Higgins and Mike Evans go there at the beginning of the third round, you just say, well, that's only one round difference, but that's a round where, I mean, there are some picks in round three that, I mean, Ben, you and I had these guys on our team last year and we had to bench them in the fantasy playoffs <laughs> in the FFPC main event. And we're going for the half a million dollars. I guess I don't feel that comfortable coming right back with guys who were not even playable at the end of last season. Deontay Johnson better at overcoming quarterback play than some of these other players. Yeah, I love Deontay Johnson. I've been doing uh, a little of my own prospect research, which is a little teaser for after I get back from my vacation, I will be writing up some stuff. And I, people think Deontay Johnson, are they're almost worried because Ben locked into him so much. I've heard that. And I'll just say that Deontay Johnson, just going back to his prospect profile as well, I mean, this guy always earned targets at a really, really high rate. I, I think he's just really good at earning volume. And so I'm right there with you. I think that's a huge drop-off after him in this part of the draft. And he really makes this team to get Liam Metcalf and then him. He's going to be one of my favorite picks in this range because that isn't – the fourth round's not as fruitful for receivers as it's been. No, it definitely is not. I think, Ben, we've, we've gone through almost all the teams. We're probably kind of running to the end of the show here. But we do have the number two pick with Jonathan Taylor. You know, we've discussed why McCaffrey might be the 101, but I still don't think you can go wrong with Taylor. I've actually got a lot of optimism now with Matt Ryan that this is kind of the perfect mix of QB for him where the offense still has to revolve around him but they're going to involve him more in the passing game. I think Jonathan Taylor has a chance to have a gigantic season. You start with Taylor and Cook. If things go right with just those two guys, you don't have to be that good in the rest of your draft. But one of the things that happened here for so many teams, and we talk about how you look these teams up or you look up the proper approach in the roster construction explorer, and you're like, oh, well, I mean, no problem. We'll just do that. And then once the draft is actually going on and you want to make a certain pick, and then you find yourself not just out of structure, but way out of structure. You know, thoughts here on, I mean, so many of the teams are similar, so we're not trying to like pick on this team per se, but you have the quarterback position with Tom Brady, Trevor Lawrence, and Mitchell Trubisky. Not necessarily great prices and, and maybe not the trio that you want either in terms of building the rest of your team around it. Yeah, I mean, it's a Brady. It's a Brady team, right? If Brady can be... If this Bucks offense can be very pass heavy again and Brady can be very efficient again, Lawrence in 13 and Trubisky in 17 maybe is too much additional resources spent on QB by like a small margin. But yeah, it really just comes down to whether the Brady bet pays off, I guess. I, I agree with you. I don't really see a lot significant upside in Lawrence or Trubisky with their situations for this year. But I could see Brady being good enough to sort of mitigate some of that. And, and he went Evans and Fournette in rounds three and four. So it looks like it is just a bet on Tampa Bay's offense. You can kind of understand the price on Brady then when you've already made those two decisions in rounds three and four. So then it was 
so much fun doing the draft with you. We really appreciate everyone from the ship chasing community, from the Rotoviz community, everybody who jumped in and made this possible when we did the sit and go draft here with the FFPC. We're going to be doing some FFPC tournament teams. We're going to be doing our FFPC dynasty league, both the post cut down trades, the rookie draft, perhaps a new startup. We're going to have FFPC high stakes main events as we go forward looking forward to all of these and in the end we'll be going after that million dollar grand prize but doing each of these is a lot of fun we appreciate the ffpc and the listeners there that's going to do it for today's episode of ceiling bananas i'm sean c with me as always is ben gretchen you can follow at yards per gretch ben is i'm going to say he, he's writing ceiling signals in his head as he is finishing his final leg of the epic trip now coming back up the pacific coast highway is that right we're uh i think yeah i think so i gotta i gotta check that i don't know where the pacific coast highway is we're going up one-on-one is that the pacific coast highway i you know you're gonna have to be the extreme west coast person for us here we'll, we'll just say that it is and and we can get some good uh, listener feedback on our ignorance there but ben is finishing up this fantastic vacation we're going to have great content for you on the pod. Subscribe. We really appreciate that. It helps us refresh those ratings and reviews. You guys have just been crazy, ridiculous, so good with that. We appreciate it so much. Use the coupon code RV Radio 2022 at checkout for a 10% discount to Rotoviz. And we'll be drafting with you guys again soon. We love you. Talk to you soon. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.